This month's guest isn't just an award-winning songwriter. She is also now a published author. And it wouldn't surprise me if she's winning awards for that pretty soon. I'm Tom Maley, and this is Write You a Song. Talking to the Sky is Amy Mayo's memoir of growing up with a dysfunctional family in a small Alabama town. The book is raw, honest, harrowing at times, hilarious a lot of times, and through it all is a woman yearning to be heard, seen, and understood, and who achieved a dream she'd had since childhood of becoming a songwriter despite so many obstacles in her path. I can't recommend it highly enough. Now, the bullet points on Amy, she's a successful songwriter of hits for artists like Blake Shelton, Lone Star, Tim McGraw, Kenny Chesney, Martin McBride, Kelly Pickler, and others. She won the BMI Song of the Year Award in 2000 for co-writing Amazed with her husband, Chris Lindsay and Marv Green. She also won the BMI Country Songwriter of the Year Award, becoming one of only a handful of female writers to win both awards alongside names like Dolly, Loretta, and Taylor. Not bad for somebody who doesn't even play an instrument. And because our conversation deals a lot with her book, this is going to be unlike any interview I've done on Write You a Song. Yet we'll still get stories behind the songs. We'll still get insight into Amy's creative process. But I think also you're going to find by the end of the interview, you're going to be more than just a little bit inspired too. So let's get on with it. Amy Mayo, this month, right now on Write You a Song. Amy Mayo, thank you for joining us uh, this month on Write You a Song. Um, your book just came out, and it is, uh, it, it's an incredible read. Um, I, I, to be honest with you, I was thinking, oh, it might, might be a fun little you know, thing to, to skim through. This is a really deeply personal and really well-written book. Thank you. It took 15 years. <laughs> so, like, I rewrote it so many times. Like, I feel like it got better, you know, like, each, each draft. Until, like, finally I realized it could be different, but I don't know if it's, I, I couldn't judge it anymore. And then I had people that read, like, the the draft I had, and the feedback was so good that I was like, okay, it's ready, you know. And then and then I decided that I put it on Kickstarter to fund it, and um, I'm so glad I did because, like, right now with the pandemic, everything's so up in the air had I gone, like, I could have went with a publisher, but it would have taken two years. And right now I'd be stuck in a warehouse. I know it would. Oh, my God. Like, the first several chapters, I just want to give you a hug. You had an unbelievable uh, upbringing. Yeah, I, I really, like, we would always joke that I never had met anybody with a crazier life. Like, and it's funny because, like, I think a lot of the country stars, kind of thought it might be a different book, like when I'd be talking to them about it, like like Tim McGraw and Kenny Chesney were both like, well, what's in this book? You know, they were asking a bunch of questions, and I was just like, it's, a, it's about songwriting, kind of, but it's more like everybody like that's been comparing it, They the books are like um, Educated and The Glass Castle. They're more memoirs that got real popular by people that weren't famous. If it's possible, it's a grittier version of Hillbilly Elegy. It really is. Yeah, uh, that's what um, this lady, Dana Perino, she just flipped out over the book, mm -hmm. and she compared it to Hillbilly Elegy. And um, she said that, like, it was Hillbilly Elegy, but it was hilarious. Like, so it's been compared, like, to Glass Castle, Educated, Hillbilly Elegy, and Running with Scissors. 
<laughs> well, a shout out to Dana because she's a listener to the podcast, as a matter of fact. Um, your dad. She's amazing. Danny Bear Mayo was something else. Oh, he was the he was the biggest character. It was so hard to like try to capture his character because like the things he said, it was so hard to try to write any dialogue for him because he he was just you could never think it up. He was I went by things that I remembered a lot of times that he said just because it was so crazy. His mind just worked so different than everybody else I knew. Well, and I think a lot of people have somebody like him in their family, um, but they kind of get stuck in the way your dad was at the very beginning where he it seemed like he had all these plans, but he wouldn't follow through on them. Uh, and, and then he would disappear and he was unreliable. And again, I, I'm only a little ways into the book. He finds his footing eventually because he went on to write some pretty huge songs in, in Nashville. But for you at such a critical age of development to have this man that you dearly loved um, not being able to rely on on him. And he dearly loved you. That comes through loud and clear. But it's almost like he wasn't able to do it to the best of his abilities because he had other things, other distractions. Yeah, yeah. We talk, we talk all the time about how, like, he's got – he has such a – he had such a quality where – even when he was being cruel and like, it was almost like he couldn't help it. Like, like he had this endearing childlike quality that I couldn't stay mad at him. Like even when, you know, he was doing something that just was terrible. Um, were you ever, you said you've been working on this book for 15 years. So you've had plenty of time to process what you were putting down. Were you ever, uh, hesitant to put this thing out and, and to put all this down in writing for, for everybody to see? Uh, yeah, I was very, that was a lot of the reason I think it took so long. Like, um, first of all, my mom and stepdad didn't know I burned our house down because I was had such a bad relationship with my stepdad that I, I was terrified of what would happen if he found out. And so they found this out like 30 years after it happened. Oh, wow. And, um, like, and then I was really worried about my stepdad because he was so abusive to us when we were young. But he's changed. And so, like, I didn't want to hurt him. I, for some reason, I really worried a lot about hurting him. Like, and because he's tried to make up for it. Like, he's been... He's been like so different as he got older and my kids my kids love him but it's and my mom my mom can kind of bounce back from anything so I, even though there's stuff about her addiction and stuff like that she can handle it I want to read something and and I mean it's so obvious uh why you do what you do because you're an amazing writer um if you don't mind I just want to read one of the one of the uh, paragraphs that that caught my attention just it, it, sure. For anybody listening, just listen to the description. The, you're just you're, you're you paint such a vivid picture. In my first memory, I'm two years old, standing in a woman's living room that smells like dirty diapers and garbage. I don't know if she had a sign on her door that said "White Trash Daycare," but she kept a lot <laughs> of the kids in our trailer park. The phone kept ringing, and I felt a sense of alarm in the air. Snotty-nosed children were crying, and parents came to pick up their kids, scooping them up like a kangaroo in the pouch. But no one came to get me. So the faceless woman threw me on her hip and put me in her car. 
I thought I was going with her, but she stopped in front of our trailer, got me out of the back seat, and sat me on the rotting front steps of our mobile home. She held a cigarette between her teeth as she buttoned up my red coat. Sit on these steps and do not move. Your mama or daddy will be home soon. Yeah, that made me emotional listening to you read it. Wow. Yeah, um, that, the thing about the book is that, like, as it goes, like, there's so many twists and turns, like, because my childhood was so crazy, and, like, we were technically homeless lots of times in my childhood, and then my daddy went on to make millions, and then he died homeless. And um, after, like, I, I tried, you haven't got this far yet, but I tried to kill myself when I was 19, and I almost succeeded. I mean, like, it's a miracle I'm even here. And after that, I just, like decided, you know, I was going to find a way to get to Nashville one way or the other. And then when I got to Nashville, within six months, I was married to a guy who was beating me up and bit me in the face and just an absolute, had myself in such a mess that I didn't know if I'd ever, I didn't know how to get out of it. So I've always hoped that like this book would help people like that were in abusive marriages or just bad marriages or that just felt lost in their life and they just had this vision of who they were going to be and what they wanted their life to be and they were no you know they were nowhere near it that that like was my dream that it would help people well in the, even the name of the book talking to the sky is a reference to how you would spend your countless hours in your room by yourself with your notebooks and your poetry and not much else. And you would just gaze out that window and, and you would, you would talk to the sky. You would share your dreams. I don't know if you were praying or, or just talking to yourself or, or, or what it was, but you were hanging on to something. Did you know at that time what it it was you were hanging on for? Does that make sense? It, yeah. It just felt like, like, when I would pray, a lot of times, like, the night that I tried to kill myself, I was outside just staring up at the stars. Like, and in Alabama during those days, you could see the Milky Way. And, like, I just remember it just seemed like the most magical thing, you know, like, and the biggest place and where you could talk to God. Like, some people may think, you know, talk to the universe. It just seemed like where prayers should go. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that... <laughs> And so I always did that. And then when I was in that horrible marriage, I, we had a tiny backyard and I would go out there and just pray, you know, God, please get me out of here. I didn't see a way out, but I just prayed that that there, that I could find a way out. Your dad, for as, as chaotic as he was for much of your life, did he, by going to Nashville and becoming a, a successful songwriter, sort of show you a way out? Well, he never really encouraged me about being a songwriter. I think it took a while for me to realize why, because at the time I just I thought he I, I thought he was being mean. But then, as like as I got older and when I was writing this book, I realized he just was trying to not. He didn't want me to get my hopes up and get my heart broken because when I moved to Nashville, like it was in the early nineties. There, I didn't even know of another female songwriter that wasn't like Dolly Parton or Loretta Lynn that wasn't writing for their own records. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I didn't know any women that were just songwriters. Most everybody, like, 
when I got signed, I was the only female in the building, and there was multiple publishing companies, like, in our building. And um, so it was very rare. There's so many things about, like, that I didn't realize how big of an underdog story it was because, like, I'm not a musician. I don't even play an instrument, which that that's, you know, another crazy thing. And then as, like, um, I, my dad told me I was tone deaf. So, actually, in a lot of ways, he hurt me more than he helped me when it came to songwriting because I believed him because he said, if you're tone deaf, you don't know you're tone deaf. And so I was terrified to sing in front of anyone. And then it took, like, I finally, my husband now, Chris, we had, we wrote together for years, but he said, I want you to sing this. I want you to sing this demo. And then when I did, people loved it. And like Martina McBride, that's how I met her. She's like, I love your voice, you know, and she tried to get Joe Galani to sign me to a record deal. But my voice was, my voice is very weird. Like if I, if I sing a demo, nobody cuts it. Nobody records it. Like it's just too, it's just too weird. And I did get offered a record deal by this guy in LA that um, he signed a bunch of rock people. Like he signed Aerosmith and ACDC and like a bunch of big rock bands. And um, he called one day and he had heard um, this song of mine called Liar. And he was like, I want to sign you to a record deal. He had the whole thing visioned out how it would be. But that morning I had found out, like probably three hours before he called, I had found out I was pregnant with my second son. And um, I just never, that was never my dream to be tour around and sing on stage. I get real nervous singing. I would rather talk if I was going to be on stage been saying so you went to nashville i'm always worried to be a songwriter without any musical ability at all really yeah yeah i did what's weird is like that there's a lot of weird little things like if i'm ever in a writing appointment and we're on a melody of another song i always pick it up before there i don't know if anybody's ever like picked it up, you know, I can always spot it when we're on another melody. I don't know what, if, if that's because I'm just listening to it. But then after a while, I realized I, my melodies, I had really great melodies that people were telling me, I love your melodies. Like, <laughs> and um, a lot of times if somebody is like, if they're not the, like we call them like the top liner, you know, if they're not the top liner, most people don't, don't know what exactly they're doing in that melody. Like, do you know Liz Rose? Yes, yeah, she's been on the uh, podcast, yeah. She's a great example, like, because she has great melodies, but she's not technically a singer. So I loved seeing her perform live, kind of seeing what she did. But it's weird because, like, if I sing my melody, it sounds like one thing, and then if I get somebody like Caitlin Smith or somebody on it, it's a whole different song because they're <laughs> such great singers. I mean, it just turns into something else. So um, was your dad alive to see you begin to have success? Yeah. I could cry even thinking, like, he died right before. He he didn't get to he didn't get to see me win like song of the year at the BMI awards or songwriter of the year at the BMI awards, but he did get to see, um, our song amazed. It, it was like at the top of the chart. And one of the last times I saw him, 
he got um he, he was broke i mean he couldn't afford a coat it was so sad because i'd seen him win awards on tv and stuff and he was living at this rundown motel and when we went to drop him off he loved to go to the movies so we took him to a movie and we went to drop him back off and he's like i got something for you and so he went over to his car and he got out this stack of newspapers. It was like the size of a microwave. I mean, just this giant. And he came over there, and they had featured me in the songwriter showcase. And he he bought everyone that the every one of the papers. <laughs> <laughs> oh my so gosh! He was really proud. And Brandy Clark, um, you probably know her too, a songwriter and artist. She's been on the she podcast too. Me, yeah. Oh, she has. Yeah. I love her. She um she told me that she met my dad when she first moved to town and he just was talking about how proud he was of me and like so he never he didn't tell it to me but he was telling it to a lot of people. And just so people can make the connection your dad again was uh, Danny Bear Mayo and he's credit probably his his three most well-known songs uh Keeper of the Stars which I think was one of the most played songs on country radio in the 1990s. I tip my head. Uh, Alabama's If I Had You, which is just a beautiful ballad. And there's nothing, no, there's nothing, no, there's nothing that I wouldn't do. If I had me. And Feed Jake. From Pirates of the Mississippi. If I die before I wake, Jake, he's been a good dog, my best friend, right through it all. If I die before I wake, Jake. And he wrote a bunch of other just terrific songs, but those are probably the three standouts. Um, when you started to see him have success, based on how he was when you were growing up, were you surprised, or was it just sort of like, well, why not? He's, you know, everything else has happened in his life. Yeah, he did so much crazy stuff that, like, I I don't know that I was that, like, I don't remember being that surprised, because he went from being, like, crazy broke to, like, he opened this chain of video stores. He borrowed money from my granddad, and then he had had a lot of success with that. And then he moved to Nashville. And and the crazy thing is, he didn't play an instrument either, which that it is so rare. I don't know. Like I, I probably only met two or three songwriters in my career that didn't play it, especially men that didn't play an instrument. He had a way with words, and you have a way with words. Yeah, that's what I realized. Like, I wasn't in Nashville that long before I realized every time we get in the room to write a song, we are never stuck on the music. Everybody's full of music. We're always stuck on the idea. I mean, like, because if you have, like, three great songwriters with a great idea, you're going to have a killer song. But if you have three, like, three, you could have the three most talented songwriters in Nashville and just not really have an idea, and you're not going to have a good song. 
That's an interesting perspective. I haven't heard it put that way before, That, but, but that makes sense. Somebody can be much stronger musically than they, they can be lyrically. Yeah, and, like, a lot of times, like, that's what happens. Like, when whenever you get in the room with an artist, like, you know, you know, like, if you're writing with Kenny Chesney or something, you know that, okay, if we write a great song, he's going to record it, you know, and that's what it really, you really need that idea. Because, like, there's an example of an idea, like, I love songs that are like little stories. And um, I always wanted to write a song about a dog after my dad had feed Jake because I saw the impact it had on people. Like, and I love dogs. So I had this idea for like four years, and I tried to talk everybody into writing it. I mean, I was like, this idea is so weird. I don't care. I'll just send you the lyric I'm working on. Like, and I just sent it to like 20 different writers. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I got the idea from Jaron Johnson because he did this post on Instagram when his dog died. And around the same time, I had lost my dog. And I thought, like, you know, there's a huge song in this because when people lose their dog, they don't, they, it's like they're embarrassed to talk about it, but it's such a deep and personal loss. Like, they're your best friend. I mean, a lot of times, like, like they, they'll move to town with you. They'll be with you when you're broke, when you go through a breakup. You know, they're always there. And um, so it's such a deep loss when you lose your dog. And this song, if you haven't heard it, it's just so good. Tim McGraw cut it. Like, the crazy thing is we wrote this song finally. I, I finally talked Jaron Johnson into writing it. And I wrote it with him and Tom Douglas and Tom's daughter, Claire. And um, I had to lure Jaron into it with Tom Douglas <laughs> because I knew that he, like, I knew that he had written hits with Tom and that Tom's, like, his favorite songwriter. So I told Tom, I've got a song of the year idea, and I can't get Jaron to write it. So he called Jaron, and then, the, then Tom messaged me, you want to write it in the morning? So we wrote that song, and it was cut really fast, like, I sent it, I pitched it a couple places, and then Tim McGraw was done with his record, but he went back in and recorded it. And um, the response, like, I've never, I've only had one other song where people cried. Like, I get texts all the time, this song made me cry so hard. The Silverado seat feels empty without you in it. I still fly down them dirt roads we used to ride down Gets my good years spinning Might get your name in a tattoo Talk on, I miss you This king-size bed has too much space Without you in it I wander around watercolor memories My head is spinning I think I'll get that tattoo Doggone I miss you If there's one spot of sun On the porch up there I bet you're lying right in Yeah, if angels wear Red wing boots I bet one turns up missing If there's a Chevy I bet your shotgun is there's a mailman, I bet he's running. If there's hunting and fishing in heaven, I hope the good Lord lets you tag along. 
somebody to write it because it is a little bit crazy you know to write a song about about losing your dog and and <laughs> like it took a few turns i didn't see that i think made it better once we all got together writing it i want to uh, uh talk to you about another song uh that is universally loved before i do though i actually had a chance to talk to marv green your co-writer and i wanted to play for you let me know if you can hear this okay i'm going to play it down the line okay. for you and this is marv several months back on the podcast, talking about how you guys wrote uh, a fairly popular little ditty. Oh, this is 1998. I just met my wife, just uh, uh, and Amy Mayo, Chris Lindsay, my co-writers, were were falling in love with each other. And um, Amy, you know, it's funny because Amy and I kind of landed in Nashville around the same time, and so we'd hang out and go listen to uh, other songwriters and just talk about music and went to, you know, go to some parties and just play each other what we were up to. And, and, um, she recognized in a sisterly way when I met Tasha, that Tasha kind of had my number. And so she called me and, you know, she'd kind of just egg me on as a sister would. And, and she called me one night and, and I don't know, she was completely serious, but also having fun with me. And she's from Gaston, Alabama. And so in this, Alabama kind of voice. She said, Marv, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm just, you know, back at my apartment now. And she goes, well, tonight I want to write a love song. And she was laughing. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you do, do you? And she said, yeah, why don't you come over? And I said, all right, I'll, I'll come over. And um, and so we just. And there you go. That was... <laughs> oh, I love that so much. Marv is so awesome. <laughs> Oh, I love that. You know, I have always said, and I still feel it every time, There, that song amazed, like, um, we were, he was falling in love with Tasha, I was falling in love with my husband, Chris, and we, that, that feeling got inside amazed, like, right when that steel guitar does that real thing, you, you can feel it in the song, like, it, you can feel the emotion in the song, because, I've like I probably had most of my hit or not most a lot of my hits have been love songs. Like when before Chris and me got married, I wrote that song with Bill Luther, um, my best friend. Like and and kind of gave it to him, and then he wrote me a song back that was um, I want to be your everything by Keith Urban. Mm-hmm. And like so, we would write these love songs back and forth. And we like then we all wrote "Let's Make Love" with Marv and Bill Luther, and we just I wrote I just love love songs. I grew up on Lionel Richie, and I just love love songs. But the crazy thing is, it's really hard to write a good love song because there is nothing cheesier than a bad love song. <laughs> and and like um, it's it's so like after Amaze, everybody I wrote with wanted to write a love song, and and I've got probably two hundred terrible love songs, like just trying to like. I would get with somebody like Bon Jovi and they want to write a love song. And, and then it would be like, it would be some title that like would never work. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and, and, 
that, that everybody that I worked with, that's what they wanted to do, was write a love song. And so my catalog is full of them, but they don't have that energy like Amaze and, and the other two that were real. Every time our eyes meet, this feeling inside me is almost more than I can take. Baby, when you touch me, how much you love me And it just blows me away I've never been this close To anyone or anything I can hear your thoughts I can see your dreams I don't know how you do what you do I'm so in love with you it just keeps getting better I want to spend the rest of my life With you by my side Forever and ever Every little thing that you do Baby, I'm amazed by you And I wanted to ask you about my best friend. You mentioned that um, in the opening lines. It it sounds like it's pulled straight from your life, a a page from your book. I never had had no one that I could count on. I've been let down so many times. Yep. I'll tell you something crazy. When we were writing that song, I had never had a Tim McGraw cut, but he was my target, like pretty much from the get-go. I just loved his record. And um, so we were writing that song. Bill had never had a Tim McGraw cut either. We we had had a few, like, songs, and I'd had a couple singles, but they were on smaller artists. And so when we were writing it, after – after that came straight out of my diary, those, those lyrics, the whole first verse pretty much. And I told Bill when we were writing the song, I was like – I think Tim McGraw's going to cut this. And then a couple months later, after he had recorded it, he said that he knew when he heard, he got through, he named the exact lyrics that you just did. He said he knew that he was going to record it after he heard just that part. And the crazy thing is that song made um, the Bad Grammar Hall of Fame. <laughs> because I never had no one. It's right in the first line. I never had no one that I could count on. I've been let down so many times. I was tired of hurting, so tired of searching. Till you walked into my life. a feeling I'd never known For the first time I didn't feel alone You're more than a lover There can never be another Make me feel the way you do I look at you I don't know 
But you know what? You're speaking in the vernacular. At a time yeah. like this, you don't want to, you don't want to, you know, mess with things like proper grammar because that's not necessarily how people speak. Yeah, it's true. It's like um, in the book, I realized like people like it's really crazy if you sit at the table. Like next time you're just sitting at the table with a few people, I've really paid attention. I learned it in a writing class, but everybody's kind of in their own world. Like my husband last night at dinner, he's talking about Elon Musk and some rocket that's taken off, and that's all he's talking about. Then my daughter, she was talking about going to the beach. Everybody's there. The dialogue between everybody, they're just kind of in their own world, like if you really pay attention. And and everybody talks like kind of slang. They say ain't and you know, and don't, it's, it's a whole different kind of thing when you really listen to people. I think a lot of times you, you fall back on, on from where you grew up. And I, I catch myself, you know, when I'm with my friends, I grew up in a small town in Washington state and yeah, I fall back on, on uh, just kind of casual, comfortable language. Uh, <laughs> you're off the clock. Who's paying attention? Yeah, it's so true. Like in my accent, when I first moved to Nashville, I mean, it was so country that, like, people couldn't understand me. Over the last 20 years, it's changed a lot. But, like, when I first, the first time I went to New York, I, w- I got in the back of the cab, and I told them, like, where I wanted to go. And the guy turned around, and he's like, what language are you speaking? I mean, he didn't know, like, he, he didn't understand me at all. This was like before, like I finally got to the point where I would just write it down and hand them a piece of paper <laughs> because no, I got lost every time I got in the taxi back then. Um, I want to ask you specifically about some of your songs. Just give me your thoughts about them, okay? Okay. Uh, every time I hear that song, Blake Shelton. That song um, we wrote with the Warren Brothers, and that song we were talking about how, like, you know, in all of our memories, we have like a little soundtrack of like if I hear that song Heaven by Brian Adams, I just kind of smell the gym room floor and a leather jacket, my first dance, you know, like it just takes me right back to then. And then if you hear a song like that you had played at your wedding or, you know, you have these little songs that mean something to you that nobody else knows. There's something about yesterday. How fast it all flies away I don't know what it is about a goodbye kiss That makes you want to stay We were crazy Then we were over We were breaking up, making love A runaway roller coaster mentioned this in in your book there's a couple of uh, queen songs that that you mentioned and i think both times that you reference those songs you reference how to this day when you hear those songs you're right back in that moment it's so true like i remember like perfectly and vividly 
the first time my mom, I met my stepdad with my mom because they got married. I didn't even, I'd met him twice. I mean, like, we didn't even know. They had to go to a different state because the divorce wasn't even close to final. And I remember getting picked up by him, and we were in, like, a Trans Am with the T-tops out, and, and another one, Bites the Dust, came on, and that's the first time I heard that song. And, and I just remember, like, flying out of the driveway with that playing. What about um, this one's for the girls? Where did that song come from? That's a very empowering song. When you wrote it, did you feel like you needed to to share this message? Yeah, that song. I loved Cindy Lauper growing up, and and this one, this one's for the girls. Kind of, I wanted to write a song like girls just want to have fun, but I wanted to put a little more of a message in it than. Um, then, like, girls just want to have fun. It's kind of just like a little party song, you know, that all girls love. But I wanted to kind of say something in there about, like, you know, with with girls, like, especially now, there's no girls on the radio. It's so sad to me. But, like, with it's it's such a great anthem for girls. And one of my favorite writers ever, Maya Angelou, she one time, she she called me. And she said she thanked me for writing that song, which I couldn't even believe I was talking to her. What? She was like, that's, that's such an empowering song for girls and women. And I, I was just on cloud nine talking to her. Just hang it up after that. I mean. Yeah. Wow. It blew me away. I could not believe it. This is for all you girls about 13. sensitive song that I think can mean different things to different people. Kenny Chesney's Who You'd Be Today. Yeah, that that song, it's that song and then the dog song are the ones that I get like ever like every couple months I'll get a letter or something about Who You'd Be Today from somebody that'll just break your heart. Like that song was about 
my one of my best friends, he's in the book. His name's Jerry, and we used to dream of moving to Nashville together. We were just friends, but he was the one person in my town that I knew would really do it, would really move. And he got sick and um, had cancer and died like at 22. And it's so weird because we were writing, my husband Chris and me were writing with Chris Stapleton. And this was like 15 years ago. And when Chris Stapleton, I didn't know Chris Stapleton at the time. And when he walked in our studio and I saw him, I mean, I just froze because he looked just like my friend Jerry, if Jerry had lived to, you know, to be 30. Sunny days seem to hurt the most I wear the pain like a heavy coat I feel you everywhere I go I see your smile, I see your face I hear you laughing in the rain I still can't believe you're gone It ain't fair you died too young Like the story that hadn't just begun But death tore the pages all away God knows how I miss you All the hell that I've been through Just knowing no one could take your place Sometimes I wonder who you'd be today and is that where the impetus of the song came from right at that sort of moment yeah that's when i got the idea like a lot of times most of my ideas are little stories like who you'd be today or the dog song or this one's for the girls or like they're they're little stories like kind of like every time i hear that song they're they're kind of like just just little you know they could be an article or something that's one thing that i think you know like amazed i was so upset when we wrote amazed we were all arguing in the studio because i was like this song doesn't even have a title the the publisher named it amazed we we were calling it i'm amazed by you but then somebody shortened it to amazed and it was so much better Another song you talk about story songs and and it's like a short story um and I'm also assuming that this refers to the places you grew up the people you knew drugs or Jesus. Yes, that that like is my hometown in a nutshell. Like I went to one of the wildest moments like as a songwriter we were in Alabama in my hometown and I was in um Jack's which is like a Burger King or something and that song came on the radio and it was so powerful hearing it you know in Gadsden where I grew up because it's really it's really heartbreaking there's so in that town like the Goodyear plant used to everybody worked there and and they shut that plant down and I mean it's it's so sad how a part of the town died with it my hometown For anyone who sticks around You're either lost or you found There's not much in between In my hometown Everything's still black and white It's the 
long, long way from wrong to right. From Sunday morning to Saturday night. Everybody just wants to get high. Sit and watch a perfect world go by. Or Jesus. Um, could you become the writer that you are without the chaos in your life growing up? I don't think so. Like the first line, my favorite line in the book says, um, all my greatest gifts have come wrapped in ribbons of pain. Mm-hmm. And I realize it's so true as a writer because um, the first, I mean, I got my first diary five minutes after my dad shot himself. Like my grandmother let me unwrap a present. And that's been the love of my life. And then when my mom married my stepdad, he kept me grounded for three straight years. And um, like a total of three years, there were breaks in between. But so I spent all my time in my bedroom writing. And I think it gave me a huge head start. Like when I got to Nashville, I probably had 10,000 song titles, like just that I had been making since the sixth grade. And so that was such a painful time for me. And, and that's where, like, I think I really bloomed as a writer during those years. Well, Amy Mayo, this has been an absolute joy speaking with you. And I am not like blowing smoke in any way, shape or form. Your book is Excellent. And I encourage, even though it's after Christmas, if you're going <laughs> get yourself an after Christmas present and buy this book, it is fantastic. It's called uh, Talking to the Sky, 15 Years in the Making, A Lifetime Putting It Together. And I want to go out um, on this interview, uh, if you wouldn't mind sharing the story of the first time you ever really wrote a song, and it was with your dad. And we actually have a copy of the recording. So if you could just set this up. I think that's the way we'll take the interview out. Oh, I love that. Nobody's ever heard this song. It's never been played anywhere like this. So when I was eight years old, my parents got divorced and I didn't see my dad for a little while. And then the first time that I saw him, we went to a movie and we went to see the Buddy Holly story. And in that movie, I saw him write a song. And so when I, I was mesmerized, I'd never really thought about where songs came from. And so when we got in the car um, to go up to my grandmother's that night, he, um, I told him, I was like, I'm going to be a songwriter when I grow up. And he said, well, what makes you think you can do that? And I said, because I got a title. And um, so then I told him my title, and it was, if only I could hold you again, I'd never let you go. And so then he just looked at me and then he said, I'd always let you know that you had a friend if only I could hold you again. And I didn't realize till I was writing this book that I was talking about him because him and my mom had gotten divorced. But he was talking about my mom. (laughs) So, like, there's lines in there where he's talking directly to my mom. But then your dad went out and recorded it and actually hired musicians and then gave this to you as a present. Yes, he came in. Um, 
the first time he ever came to the house that I lived in with my mom and stepdad, he came in with a little shoebox, and he was like, I got a surprise for you. And so when he handed me that little shoebox, and I opened it, it was full of little 45 records, and I pulled one out, and then I realized it said on it, um, if only I could hold you again. And then it said Amy Mayo and Danny Mayo under it. And that, from that moment, that's when I knew that I, I wanted to be a songwriter. That's all I ever wanted to be. When I saw my name on that little record, it was just a demo, but to me it was a record. And it's him singing, and he gave you top billing. Yes, yes, and it's him singing. It's one of the few recordings I have of him singing. Bonneville International Communications and KNCI Radio in Sacramento. I'm your host, Tom Maley. Big thank you to my daughter, Emma Rose Maley, who helped line up our interview with Amy Mayo. A while back, I was talking to Emma about how hard it can be to track down top-tier songwriters as guests month after month after month. And then she reminded me that, uh, duh, she works at a talent agency in L.A., so she's going to start helping put together more interviews for her dear old dad. I knew there was a reason she's my favorite daughter, and it's not just because she's my only daughter. Now, all that said, Write You a Song is going to take a bit of a break. I've been cranking these things out every single month now for over two years, and it is a joy, but it also is a lot of work. I'm going to step back, 
take a bit of a breather, let Emma work on some future guests, and then we'll get back at it sometime in spring. Maybe sooner. For updates, follow me on Twitter at KNCI Tom. It's just at KNCI Tom. And in the meantime, there are, I think, 27 other podcasts in the archives. And if you're a songwriting geek at all, they are all worth a listen. Every single one of them. And it has nothing to do with me. They're all great guests. So with that, thank you for downloading, subscribing, listening. Be good. And we'll talk to you again in a few months.